Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Hey, BTB buddies, I wanted to let you know that I have a Patreon page now so that you can support the show. Check out patreon.com forward slash BTBPC and check out the cool stuff you can get for as little as two bucks per month. You can also find the link in the show notes. Thanks, as always, for listening. Wes, I'm glad we connected. I don't remember how we connected, but I'm glad we connected. Yeah. (laughs) Some comedy page somewhere, right? Yeah, Displaced Comedians, that Facebook group. Okay, there we go. There we go. Mm-hmm. And I found you because you are talking about the Plano Comedy Festival. Yes, sir. Plano which Comedy. I believe is going to be virtual this year. Is that correct? Conducted entirely over Zoom. Yes, sir. Excellent. Uh, I do want you to know that I did put a submission in, and I don't expect this uh, podcast interview to give me any extra credit, but I do expect this podcast interview to give me some extra credit. So just FYI. You never know what's going to go into our curriculum and <laughs> our score. So. <laughs> so tell me how this came about. I think this has been, this would be, would this be the third year for the comedy festival? This is Plano Comedy Festival. This is the third year since it's on Zoom. We're calling it 2.5. Last year, we've been doing a festival in the city of Plano, Texas for three years now, just because there was a growing amount of comedy at the time. There was a comedy club that just popped up out there. But people in Plano, I have a day job in Plano. They were still like, there's live yeah. comedy here. So we figured we'd try to start promoting like uh, an annual event to start bringing in bigger names and make people realize, oh, yeah, there's comedy that happens here. And this year, what with COVID, we were looking at not doing it uh because a a lot of festivals have unfortunately had to shut down some of them announced their festival lineups and then had to postpone it for question mark question mark question mark Mm -hmm. Uh, dallas comedy festival had to postpone memphis comedy festival Uh, just for laughs the biggest festival in the world just had to postpone into the future and we were inspired by a couple things one was nowhere comedy club that steve hofstetter does where he's doing all these zoom shows and getting Mm -hmm. these and that was we were like oh that's super cool that somebody's because there are a number of zoom shows that are bad but there yes. are a couple that are pretty good and we were hoping to be on that side instead of the bad uh-huh. side so Steve, uh, other, steve's is real good i've seen it and he does a good job with it the todd berry show with some of the technical difficulties at the top like it, it turns at first it was good because it was a train wreck and then it eventually got good genuinely it, it's always <laughs> fun to see somebody have to work through weird stuff yeah uh, be, whether it's a drunk crowd or uh, a communication platform not contributing to the wi-fi situation uh-huh. <laughs> and steve steve is a pretty big git you've got him for uh your headliner for the festival right yes sir mm-hmm. yeah the funny thing is he did a club here in south bend it's a rock club but he did that 
shortly before COVID started. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I was going to go see the show, but I think I was out visiting my one of my kids or my grandson or something like that, so I didn't get to see the show. But I, I understand it went really well because I know the guy that owns the bar, so it did go very well for him. Oh, I ima- if it's a Steve, Steve show, I imagine it went very well. That dude is uh, impossibly good at comedy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as far as how you're putting this together, first of all, you've got Steve and what are some of the other names you've got coming uh, to so the festival? We've got an exciting thing. We're still trying to work the details out on among the people we have announced. We've got Steve Hofstetter. We've got Kurt Braunholer from Bob's Burgers and Conan. We've got Roxy Hayes, who has a certain number of YouTube subscribers and Facebook likes, Twitter followers. We've got a uh, Karith Foster, who's been on Comedy Central. We've got Mary Kennedy, who's been on Showtime. Just a good stellar pair of comedians every night of Mm. the weekend. That's great. Now, this is something that you're opening up like a regular festival for people to uh, do submissions, like I mentioned uh, at the top there. And a lot of the people that listen to this are obviously comedians. What do people have to do to actually um, uh, give a submission for the festival? So if you go to PlanoComedyFestival.com, you'll find a button that says Submit to PCF 2.5. And if you go there, you fill out a form, get directed to a PayPal link. Uh, that will be your submission process. Make sure you have a tight five-minute video and a good bio. And we have a, we have a if you currently submissions for today and tomorrow at ten dollars, it's going to go up to fifteen. And if you're in a situation of financial hardship, because I think the unemployment rate is higher than it's been in many years feel free to fill out the financial hardship form and just let us know, hey, I submitted under this name, and we will waive your submission fee. Okay, that's great. And it's Mm -hmm. great to give uh, comics that are trying to find something to do. Yeah, a lot of COVID is just desperately trying to find a way to occupy the time. So hopefully the festival can do that. And there's a few of them that are there going to the clubs and they're doing the the half-filled clubs or doing outside stuff. But some of us who live in more rural areas uh, don't have that choice. So (laughs) it's great to put that out. Totally. And I live playing at part of the Metroplex. So there are a couple clubs I'm close to. And I just, I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to do it. It's the weirdest. I, I thought Zoom shows were weird until you perform for an entire group of people that are sitting a table apart, all with the masks. And it's like... (laughs) like body snatchers it's real weird yeah. <laughs> not really about it great uh, that's fantastic and in the interview we're going to talk more about how you're putting that together and all the nuts and bolts and stuff but for the speed route and we want to learn a little bit about you so are you originally from do you pronounce it plano or plano plano texas plano okay uh, I'm a, I, I, I went to high school in dfw i went to high school in a city called keller okay. uh, I went to college in austin texas Uh, That's where I started doing comedy. Then I moved. My first job out of college was in Memphis, Tennessee. was a comedian there for a year. And then I moved here for a job that was better and started doing comedy pretty heavily in Dallas, Fort Worth, and all the surrounding little cities they're in. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. When did you first start doing stand-up? What age were you when you started? I was 19 years old. Okay, so you were a young one. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And who are your influences? Who who are the ones that made you want to get up on stage? So let's see. I was a big fan when I was young of Louis C.K. Don't hold that against me. None of us knew. 
And uh, I was also uh, a huge fan of Kyle Kinane. Still a big fan of Kyle Kinane. Mm. Love John Mulaney. Uh, especially, I've been watching just an, a ceaseless amount of Mulaney interviews. I'm probably more heavily influenced by Mulaney right now than anybody else. Especially during doing Zoom mics, you as you write these monologues that go in weird places, you're like, oh yeah, this is very much a Mulaney voice I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Did you happen to catch the Berbeglia, his new podcast, him and Mulaney doing their interview? I need to listen to that because I know Mulaney used to open for Berbeglia. Yeah. I they have a fun rapport. Yeah. It's really, it's really good because he, the way he puts the podcast together is almost like um, helping him write jokes. So he comes up with premises and John had to come up with a premise and it was a really good interview because they talked about old times and stuff like that too. So that was cool. That sounds fun. So this is a little bit off the comedy thing. What books are you reading, music listening to, podcasts, magazines? What are you consuming right now that uh, would interest anybody else or is blowing your mind? That's a good question. That's a fair question. What am I, let's see, have I read? anything i've I've been trying to read articles i've been trying to keep up with statistics about the pandemic which is a whole slog in and of itself yeah. i've been watching all the star wars movies with my wife i had watched them all before i've just been this is exciting because we we met in our mid-20s so we largely had pop culture experiences that never we didn't have any like experiences together where we saw a thing mm-hmm. and so we're going through Netflix and we're what like we'll scroll by something and I'll be like, Have you ever seen Bloodsport? And she hasn't seen Bloodsport. We've seen Bloodsport together, we've seen Die Hard, we saw Goldfinger, uh just a whole lot of like movies where she's like, I never got to see that. It's been fun. Let's see. TV shows. I started a podcast with a buddy of mine where uh we watch Frasier, which is a show I've never seen before. <laughs> Because his na- he's a big Frasier fan and his last name is Frasier and it's called Frasier on Frasier. And that is uh, pretty much all there is. I bring, oh, this is a well-written joke. And he's, yeah, and then this happens. And then uh-huh. it's, <laughs> it's, it's probably one of the only, I, I've made a bunch of podcasts in the past. And uh, this is the first one where somebody else has the idea. And I'm like, yeah, I'll help you produce that. Because what else am I going to do? We're just sitting inside. And yeah, that's about what I've, what I'm trying to do, trying to occupy the time watching Frasier and comedy. Mm -hmm. That's great. Isn't it great going along for the ride on a podcast instead of being the brain? (laughs) I know it's the best feeling to be like, you come up with the creative ideas. I'll put this in audacity and MP3 and upload it. Yeah. contribution i i'm putting myself out there to get interviewed because i've been interviewed a few times and i just absolutely love it because all i got to do is show up mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. talk i can do that i don't have to i don't have to worry about recording or levels or social media or any of that crap i can just do it <laughs> one of the best I, when you're a guest on the podcast there's no better response than yeah the audio is off but you were great oh i brought all i could then yeah <laughs> And the audio is always off. It doesn't matter what you do. There's always something wrong. (laughs) Nothing you can do about it. What comedy album or special is your all-time favorite? That's That's a real, that's a real challenge. My favorite, I'm a big fan of Whiskey Icarus by Kyle Kinane. Uh, Huge fan of 
Comeback Kid by Mulaney. There is, oh, what is, what is that one called? How Do I Land by Kurt Braunohler is mm-hmm. very good. Oh, man. There's some, oh, uh, on the subject of Berbiglia, my girlfriend's boyfriend is the first special that I saw where I, re- like, because he does the thing at the beginning, the act out, and it plays into the end, and it's, oh, a comedy special can and should be, like, it, it should equal up to more than the sum of its parts. Uh-huh. A bunch of jokes, it should be like, wow, this all fits together. So, yeah. That was the first time where I was like, oh, my gosh, comedy can be like a whole thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a real I, callback. I know. Yeah. right? It was very <laughs> impressive. It blew at the time. I was like, that's incredible. That is that's why he's a pro. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So I wanted to get into the comedy festival a little bit before I get into why you're doing comedy and all that kind of stuff, just because. I haven't seen anybody put together an actual virtual comedy festival except for you. I've looked for them and I don't see anybody else really doing it. So mm-hmm. what are the the nuts and bolts behind doing a virtual show rather than doing a weekend of a comedy festival and what's different, what's harder and what's more easy? Probably, so one of the easier things is no venue fees. One of the hardest things is convincing, hey, a bar or restaurant or theater, we're going to bring comedians and it's going to benefit you. Everybody goes, I don't know, that sounds weird. And then you have to negotiate and haggle and all that. So the fact that we can do this on our computers is great in that way. The difficult thing is... uh, how much a festival costs a certain amount to produce. You have to book these headliners and pay and make sure that they're comfortable working for this much. And usually you can offset that by uh, obtaining local sponsors that want their name on everything. Mm-hmm. And since it's happening on the computer, you can't call up like, Hey, they'll be right next to your restaurant. Don't you want like us to plug you? Cause we're not, they're all going to be in their homes where they should be. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's a, it's definitely, it's, exciting because we're getting submissions from further than we have before they're usually a pretty close cluster of comedians like a lot of comedians around texas and then some people that are willing to travel from like denver or the east coast sporadically Mm. but usually a very core group and now we're seeing like i think we have one submission from like germany and we have uh one of those things where we could not justify having someone fly in to do comedy but if they're on their computer yeah totally we'd love to have yeah. That's cool. Have you looked at any like digital sponsors? Some of the people that do the podcast ads, like stamps.com or whatever. We should definitely like we do stamps or we could try to, we, I bet audible because I've, I've set up an audible sponsorship for my podcast before. All it is is you set up a link and ask people to click on it. Mm. Be smart. Thank you. I think you've made the festival better. <laughs> yeah. I wondered about that. I'm actually searching out. Uh, I've approached some people for sponsorships of this podcast and have gotten a lot of very empty non-returned emails, but, but yeah, I'm working I, on it. I, as someone trying to book headliners for a festival, I can relate. Yeah. You reach a lot of people that are like, I'm going to leave that in my inbox. Yeah. So, yeah. It's so funny. I, I get people that ask me, they say, how did you get so-and-so to be on the podcast? Because like, I've had some pretty decent ones. And like Ian Bag was recent and uh, Palisak, Michael Palisak was right before him. And I just tell them for every one that I get, I've probably emailed or messaged or in some way tweeted or whatever, 50. If I get one out of 50, I feel pretty good. (laughs) Absolutely. That's a great shooting percentage. Yeah. Yeah. 
So as far as how you're going to lay out the festival, are you're probably going to you're probably still going to do a weekend type format, right? Yes. Yeah, so we're talking about doing a headliner show, a couple headliner shows. In the past, we've done two headliner shows Friday and Saturday. We do one to close out the festival on Sunday, one on Thursday, and then we'll scatter out some. Okay, come check out the amazing talented people that submitted. Uh, to put them on their own show. We usually do a couple concept shows, like a blue show, especially with something like Zoom. We're thinking about doing concepts. Yeah, here's a show where we'll put up a background for you or all background or all screen. We really, it's not one of those things where we're trying to force a comedy festival into this format. We're hoping to reward people that are innovating in the medium and try to like, hey, this is a really weird snapshot in time, but it was funny for us, right? Yeah. That's a good idea doing those theme type shows. Do the blue show, do the clean show. And I I would have to imagine since you're getting submissions obviously from further out, that mm-hmm. those people are going if they're gonna be on the show, then people are gonna probably buy tickets just to see them and they're mm-hmm. gonna so that should compound the interest by the distance that you're going, which is pretty much around the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> I did see there was somebody who did, I think it may have been in the displaced comedians group. I think they did a day of comedy or something like that, or it was called comedy and they did 24 hours and that seemed to go pretty well for them. I didn't do it, but everybody who did it said it was a good show. Yeah. I, I missed the boat on how to be involved in it. But when I saw it, I was like, that looks really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I guess personally, I've done a few of these Zoom shows and I will do I'll do one if I think it's worth it. But most of them, like the open mics and stuff like that, I just can't even do it anymore. It really hurts, especially if they don't. An open mic by nature is you're not performing in front of anybody like you're performing in front of people that aren't paying attention at a bar. But at (laughs) least you can look at them and if they smile, there's some reward. There's nothing worse than staring into your webcam and not getting anything back. Yeah, I could have done anything else. And I don't and I'm doing this and doing my camera. Uh And you watch the replay and you can see your own cold dead. (laughs) My cold. Because I I have a good, I have, I have the new Mac webcam so I can see my own flops. Yeah. It's terrible. (laughs) Oh, that's, that's hilarious. Mm. When you put this, when you put this together and you get everything organized, you know, who's helping you? You obviously got to have more people than just you driving this i have a very great team the first year i did it i was the person that uh, somebody came to me and was like hey did you know that plano comedy festival.com this domain doesn't nobody owns it and i was like oh that's cool and then uh, that person and i looked into it and we bought after that i realized that it doesn't make any sense to do it by yourself i brought in a couple people that were also producing shows Mm -hmm. in the area and they are they make up the festival board. We have Brittany Goss, we have Tom Smith, and we have myself, all people that produce shows locally. They are a great team to work with. And yeah, we rely on really rely on each other. This would be a stupid thing to do by yourself. Yeah. This would be the dumbest thing. <laughs> and how big a city is Plano? 
I think it's got uh, 200. I love it. I should Google that before I reveal I know nothing about the city that I live in. <laughs> that would be embarrassing. Oh, yeah. I wasn't too far. I was going to say 200,000. It's 288,000. Okay. Yeah. So it's a fairly decent sized city, but it's not big city. No, it's kind of it's the cool thing about living in Dallas, Fort Worth, is you can very easily take an act and start to develop it. So oh. I can perform in Dallas. It has this many people. OK, cool. Now I'll take the show out to Fort Worth where it has this many. And I'll go to Arlington and then Plano and then McKinney. And it, there's just weird pockets of uh, 100,000 people in every little neighborhood mm. around the area. A lot of the people I'm talking to, this it seems to be a trend where you've got a, a big comedy city like a Denver or a Dallas, and in the periphery, there seems to be more of them popping up, more scenes, and mm-hmm. those scenes, uh, even though they don't, they don't have as many clubs or whatever. They've got venues because they've got a bar they can do it at. But it seems like the number of local people who get involved and start doing stand-up because there actually is a scene really grows because mm-hmm. of that. Because you, you wouldn't think, like, I talked to a guy that's uh, from Steamboat, Steamboat, Colorado, and it's, it's 20,000 people. No, it's 30,000, and it's a ski town, but they've actually got a pretty decent comedy scene, or they had one before the shit hit the fan. Uh, They had a pretty decent comedy scene going on just because they started it, and then people started showing up, and, Mm -hmm. hey, I want to be a comic. So it's pretty neat. Yep. (laughs) My first gig regularly at a comedy club was uh, I, I was doing open mics in Austin and a club opened up like 40 miles south in a city called San Marcos, mm-hmm. which is a college town that has the college and then in the summer becomes a city with no one in it. And they were like, hey, do you want to work in this comedy club booking shows out of the second floor of a three floor bar? And I was like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> There was uh-huh. conceivably no way to get people into it. Yeah. But uh, that was a really fun four months. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's it's fun to try to do that stuff. Now, the actual comedy festival, am I right? Is that in October? That is October 1st through the 4th. Okay. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're doing is really cool, and I, I think that we'll, it'll still be predominantly virtual in October, so... Mm-hmm. I just because of the way things are going. So I think you made the right call there. I think the best case scenario is everything ends tomorrow and we lose out on a, an amount of money, but at least oh, society's back. That's great. Uh-huh. Uh, second best case scenario is everything stays the way it is. And we put on a cool comedy festival, uh, yeah. but that would also be nice. <laughs> Knock on wood. Yeah, no doubt. I know that I applied for a comedy festival. This is before COVID. I think I did it in January and I think it was supposed to have already happened in May. Yeah. And I never even got a response and I certainly didn't get my money back. So no, of course not. No. And I think I was a tail under, I think it was 30, 30 bucks by the time I got a, on nice. it. So. <laughs> Those are festivals for you. They can, they, yeah. I know that a couple of them have, postponed indefinitely but not also not given comics their money it's like, we're going to do it at some point so it's not stealing but yeah <laughs> and i gotta talk about the grief you took for even posting 
I yeah. just laugh because I saw it after there was probably already 10 or 15 posts underneath it mm-hmm. talking about why would you charge people to do comedy. And I just wonder how many of these people have actually done stand-up comedy before because it seems like nobody knows what a comedy festival is. Well, you gotta, here's the thing. I've we've po- It's not new. I've posted in groups, and I, the reason I'm so comfortable being like, hey, I understand your feelings, is because I've had to do this for years. Not just about a comedy festival, but about running a comedy show. Hey, what makes you, what gives you the right to book a comedy show? I just went to the venue and stuff. And then people say, what, can, why, how are you charging people money for if it to book headliners? And you know, I just like... <laughs> You do the, what the dumbest thing you can do when anybody is like, what gives you there is to get angry because it makes it look like you don't have the authority to do yeah. what you're doing. You just got to be chill about it and be like, hey, I understand. Let me try to set you straight here. You were so cool in your responses. You, it was like, I, I felt like you were like a customer, like the best customer service rep in the world. <laughs> and somebody's just, uh, some Karen has just given you all the guff that they could give you. And you're just taking it and being nice. I, I thought you were really cool. <laughs> it helps a lot to have done comedy. It really helps when someone is yelling at you while you're in Jackson, Mississippi. And you're like, if I am too mean, this whole crowd is going to murder me. But yeah. I can be polite. I have the microphone right now. So. <laughs> Just gotta, just gotta approach it from that perspective. Yeah, I wish you best of luck in that festival because I, I just think it's a neat idea, and we still need to laugh, and we, we still need the comedy, and you're obviously doing whatever it takes to make it happen, and I appreciate that. Thank you, man. We're we're trying. We're it is a weird time to be doing what we do, but if we don't, what are we doing? Yeah. So let's talk about you now. So you said you started doing comedy when you were 19. 19 years old. So what got you up on the stage? What what was the impetus to start it? I got out of a bad relationship. I I wanted to be a comedian when I was very young, when I was like five or six. And then I expected if you want to be a football player, you try out for the team. And if you want to be like a speaker, you try out for like debate. Mm-hmm. There isn't really like an avenue that's obvious if you want to start pursuing like comedy. So I just figured at some point like a comedy team or like a comedy club and nothing like happened until I got to college i had a a significant girlfriend at the time and she decided to leave the state and drive to ann arbor michigan and that hurt in a way that i was like i'm gonna go talk about my feelings i went to google open mic and i did this like character that was very upset and very yelly and i got (laughs) out a lot of feelings and people were like oh this is funny in like an andy kaufman way and then i showed up the next week to do it again and they were like oh no he's like upset okay (laughs) After it didn't work once, that helped me realize, oh, I do want to be entertaining. So I'll cut this and start trying to write jokes. But uh-huh. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so after that second time, you obviously decided that's what you want to do. What did mm-hmm. you, for say the first six months, what did you do to carry on and get better? Oh, I just showed up to every single open mic I could. I lived on campus at UT Austin at the time, and mm-hmm. there were open mics that were like, a mile down the road. So I would like, uh, I would go through class. I would get out at five and I would just start walking straight to kick butt coffee and with a pen and just sign up and then sit there with a smoothie until the open mic started. I would do my time. And then I would start walking uh, a different direction to a different open. I, I just went to every single stage I could as I was failing electrical engineering classes. So, um, <laughs> 
this is kind of what I was up to. Yeah. Were you just at those first few months, were you just like puking out jokes? Did, yeah. Were you like writing constantly? Have to. Yeah, absolutely. It's the weird. I don't know how many of them were good or had merit, but at the time I was like just churning out an absurd like thoughts would come to me and I'd write them down, but I had no, when you're first starting out, you're like, Oh, I'm so full of ideas. I have no idea what to do with them. And you just push them out. And eventually you start to learn how to temper and mold them into like actual jokes. But for the first little bit, it's just an exciting buzz of, I can't believe I'm doing this. This is amazing. Yeah. When you started doing this and decided you wanted to do it and you're doing the writing and stuff like that, what, from there to the first time you got paid, how long did it take you to finally get paid? The first time I got paid, I had to win a contest. I was nine. Uh, I was a year and nine months in, I believe. Mm. I, there's a contest called The Funniest Person in Austin. And if you advance, you get to move on to the semifinals and then the finals and then one person wins. But if you just tell objectively the best joke you get a hundred dollars and that meant so much more to me at the time <laughs> yeah, no doubt. In advancing i was like oh because i'd never been paid for comedy before and they paid me uh one hundred dollars uh, for a joke about a horse and they really did they this was a cap city comedy club never booked me after that but they really liked that one joke it's still on their facebook page so i'm proud of that uh, that's, that's yeah. great mm-hmm. <laughs> I've watched some of the videos that are out there of you doing comedy, and I'd have to say I really like that CrossFit bit. I know that's from a while back, but I really like what you did with that because I've actually got a CrossFit joke myself, but the the funny thing is the way you did it, it's just all wordplay. And did did you do that for quite a while? Because it seems like something you were really good at. It was in the, it was in my act for a while. People still act when people ask about it. It was there for a good six months where I was just practicing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And then at some point I was like, I don't know. And people still ask sometimes, Hey, are you going to do it? I tried to do it. It requires so much practice. I was walking around target with my wife as she was shopping and I was <laughs> muttering to myself, I promise me. just a little bit stay fit and uh it takes so much practice i tried to do it on a show and i just like the second you stumble on one word people are like oh he doesn't have it and the rest of the thing just fall it's something that requires so much practice i couldn't maintain it but what you what is in the video is the result of me saying it to myself like 30 times a day every day for a year Uh having it locked in ready to go at the moment. I could absolutely tell there was work put into it. So I Mm -hmm. I really respected the work and I thought it was funny and I Mm -hmm. thought it really appealed to me in these stupid zoom show things that something like that would actually work because it's silly enough that that they'll at least pay attention if they're not laughing. So I, I thought it was really cool. That's the trick to it is either they're immediately on board and everything's fine or the worst case is they're not on board and about a third of the way in they're like, good Lord, when is this going to end? And they start laughing at the fact that it is never going to end. Yeah. And, just, <laughs> and then that's my comedy in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> You've, you had another great one and I totally love the one and you open with it, the advice. And for if you fall down seven times, get up yeah. eight and then you can drive. 
I love that. <laughs> you're starting, you're getting paid for a joke. What did it take you to become the type of comic that you are now? Because you've obviously grown and probably found your voice by now. So what did it take you to find that? So it was a lot of trades. It's a whole, the whole journey adds up to where I am. Like I started in Austin and my idea was like, I'm going to, I'm going to learn from people and I'm going to just try to work. I'm going to go to every single open mic and hopefully someone takes notice. And I, people liked me, but I also was very shy. I didn't like network or hang out after shows. People would be like, that was fun. And I'd be like, thanks. And then I'd leave (laughs) and nobody, it was was just, uh, I did get like a couple weekends of work at like clubs, in the area but nothing like at the big i didn't get it Uh, at some point i got to move to memphis for a job and the interesting thing about memphis is they don't really have a club they just have a lot of local shows Mm. that people come to in droves and i was like oh my gosh this is this you got to bring comedy to the people this is what it is and that's what made me want to start putting shows together unfortunately memphis has like a lot of people that already produce shows and it's one of those things where the local press already covers them and it's difficult to be like walk into a restaurant in Memphis and be like, hey, do you want me to do a comedy show? It's, are you this person or affiliated with them? No, I'm just like a guy. Mm. (laughs) But then I came to Dallas for another job and I had all this gumption and energy from, yeah, you got to self-produce a little bit to get some uh, traction, create opportunities for yourself. And Dallas is full of breweries and bars of people that like somehow obtained money and put it into a building, and now they're sitting there with nobody in the building, and they're like, God, what do I do? And mm-hmm. you walk, you're like, I could put a comedy show here. And they're like, great, here's a check every month. Please do what you're saying you're going to do. Uh-huh. It's, <laughs> it, it is the dream. It is the American dream in comedy form. So your comedy came, it, it was born of uh, being depressed because your girlfriend left you. and. Yeah. Then you became happy because you're obviously married now. And you said you were practicing the joke at Target with your wife. How did your comedy change when your uh, state of being changed? I think it. the interesting thing is for a while, I was very much into meta humor. I was writing jokes about jokes and things that like were inherently absurd. And then as I started to calm down and get a little bit more self, because at the time I thought everything was so absurd. I was just mocking everything I could. And eventually when you start to get a little bit more balanced and a little bit more happy, you start to realize, no, I can focus in on this one thing and make a longer joke about this instead of trying to make everything silly. I can make it seem like I'm serious and then laser pinpoint on one thing and make it so serious that it comes back around the other side and becomes silly uh-huh. and then i can put some character into it and make it seem like i'm getting frustrated that people think it's silly and the whole thing just spirals from there uh-huh. i think I, I when you bring up voice i think my voice is that of like an inventor who doesn't realize that his invention is broken and ridiculous until <laughs> he's halfway through the presentation so that, that seems to that's that's me that's yeah me. i have yeah. to think that absurdity stuff is still a little bit in your act because I can just see that in you as a person. Cause I've got that too. So it, mm-hmm. that still sticks with you a little bit, doesn't it? Absolutely. No, yeah. you, you never completely wash it out. You're yeah. Just, it's, it's always <laughs> under the surface. And, and you need that as a comic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I find it interesting that you're, you said you were shy kind of an introvert and yet you have enough get up and go to 
ask people to produce shows and, and stuff like that. How were you able to overcome your the shyness, the introvert part to actually say, hey, I'm, I want to take this and go with it? It really comes down to realize that after a certain point, you realize, hey, I can keep being like in myself and I can keep not like, oh, I, I don't know if my contribution amounts to anything. I don't want to talk. And then you realize after like however many years of not being noticed, you're like, OK, I have to speak up. Otherwise, I'm always going to go last at the open mic or <laughs> be like or do the shortest set on. The at some point, you have to learn how to sell yourself. Otherwise, you're not going to do any climbing. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Just out of, out of sheer uh, business need, I just started being like, okay, I have to talk. Otherwise, nothing's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Did you start, did you do any traveling at all? Did you work as like a, a headliner or a feature and go to the Midwest or anything like that? I have, I've gotten to do like a couple festivals on the road. I've gotten to go to St. Louis. I've gotten to do clubs in Arkansas and Texas and Oklahoma. I th one time I got to go out to D.C. and do comedy shows. It's really, yeah, I've never, it, I'm still, I, I, I just before COVID, uh, a friend of mine and I, I had just won Funniest Comedian in Texas the year before, mm -hmm. and then he won Funniest Comedian in Texas the year after, and we started like rapid calling shows together. Okay, we're both the two most recent, if you want to book us, let us know. And it just like you were saying, it was about a one in 50 ratio, but we had put together about like a string of 13 shows where we travel straight up and then straight back down to uh -huh. Texas and uh, around show five COVID started happening, but it was real fun right on that. Oh man, the road is super cool. We're getting better. And yeah. then right back to where we were. It's amazing how many people I've talked to, they were just right in the middle of stuff. Stuff was happening. Something was going to break loose and then this yeah. happens. So it's really too bad. And it's, it, it's almost like everybody just in 2019, they decided what they wanted to do with their life and started moving on and doing that stuff. And then 2020 just pulled the rug out from under us. Yeah. 20 just came, 2020 just came by and was like, that sounds funny. And then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh good try. Yeah, no doubt. Mm -hmm. So thinking about when you got into your home base at uh, Plano and started doing the shows there, did you mm -hmm. develop like a uh, tribe of people that you could count on and come to the yeah. shows, be at the shows, comics that you could lean on and stuff like that? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's like you were saying about the, that town in, in Den around Denver. Mm -hmm. uh, Steamboat, if you just keep... If you just keep doing it, eventually some people are going to be like, yeah, I want to be part of this. This seems fun. And you just build like a small family around that. You just keep trying to know a, a significant chunk of our submission base. And I was wondering how many would want to adapt. We like to book uh, local comics to host the shows and then pack them with out of town people. And we're seeing a great chunk of uh, local Plano comics being like, can't wait to be on the virtual fest. So it's good. Yeah, no, you need that network of people in the area that want you want your thing to succeed. Otherwise, it's not going to go anywhere. Uh -huh. Your type of comedy is you said you went to Oklahoma and Arkansas. How does your type of comedy get received in states like that? So that's a great question. It depends on. So I've done there. It depends on the crowd. I've done Lowell, Arkansas. That's the home of the Grove, one of the newest comedy clubs 
owned by a guy named Bill Adams, who's great. He's, if you'd think going to Arkansas, and I've done shows in other cities in Arkansas where I'm like, they're going to hate me. And they did. But Lowell <laughs> was really quick, really smart, great group of people. I performed twice in Stillwater, Oklahoma, back when they had a comedy club called Funnies, owned by a guy named Rob Novell. First time I went there, I had the most alt. I did all of my weird stuff. I played like an accordion to close the show. <laughs> and uh, they loved it. They had the best time. And then uh, they booked me again a year later. And I had, oh, this is, I'm going to try to do more stories and stuff. I'm going to try to open up more about myself. And they hated it so much. Uh. I they never booked me again. And a year later, what would have been the third time if they decided to rebook me, the club was closed. So I, oh, wow. I, I guess I own that. I guess that might be on me. <laughs> <laughs> they might have had hope for the club before I did the second set. Yeah, audiences are so weird. And it's probably good that you've got both the, the stories and you can do the zany stuff too. Uh, yeah. Some of the non sequitur type stuff because you can... On non sequitur type stuff, you can tell really quick if the crowd is going to be the type of crowd that's going to get that. Mm -hmm. And then you can shift gears if they're not. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so yeah. it, it, but you need a lot of material to do that because if you're expected to do a half hour or 45 minutes, uh, you, you got to have that spare 45 because if you got 30 non sequitur type stuff, then it's hard to fill. You don't like this? Let me pull out the B team and roll them out. Yeah, like this. You know, it's a whole lot of a whole lot of different bags of props to carry out if you're backup sets ready to go. No, yeah, the, the, one of the weirdest things, uh, especially when you're doing alt or absurd zany kind of stuff, is you'll do is like I get after the second set in Stillwater, I bombed, mm. but there were still like one or two people that walked up and was like, oh, I I get it, they don't, I get it, and it's yeah, I, I see what you're doing. You're trying to be funny on like a different level, <laughs> and I'm trying to be commercially viable, sir. I, I genuinely. <laughs> It's not, I wasn't trying, I appreciate you liked it. I was trying to perform for everybody. So I did blow it, but uh, <laughs> very kind of you. What does your uh, wife think about you doing the comedy? Did You must've met while you were doing it. I met her. She was performing at the Rocky Horror Picture Show at the time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I joined the cast because I thought she was very fun. I thought she was a great performer. We hung out on that. She is, we've both since left the cast. She was cool with comedy for a while and she's still good with it. She definitely, there was a period of time where she was like, oh yeah, you do comedy. That's super fun. Like I do this once a week. And then she realized, no, you do this every single night. This is every she was like, let's go see a movie at nine. And I was like, I'm going to be at comedy because that's what I do. And she was like, oh, OK. And it's since then, it has been a lot better. We understand each other better. And it's definitely helped. This is the most we've hung out during COVID just because uh, there's much less to do. And it's good to find out we get along. I wasn't yeah. sure for now, but <laughs> we apparently were really good together. And that's good to know. It's funny. I've been with my wife for 37 years and this is the most we've been together by ourselves for this amount of time. And it's really nice to know that we get along. <laughs> right? well, can you imagine how many people are finding out like, Oh shoot, we just, we're good for little chunks. And yeah. Now, yeah. <laughs> we need a bigger house. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> That's no, great. When you think about, 
where you're at as far as um, in this mess that we're in and you're doing this festival and you're probably going to want to have some new material. Do you have the ability to write during this pandemic? Here's the tough thing. And I don't know if you're experiencing this. I'm writing a lot. I'm not editing at all. And it's really becoming a problem. Like I'm, I'm every, like I'm presenting first drafts and it's the weirdest because I'm used to like, Hey, I'll go up to a, I'll go up at an open mic that I know will have three people. I'll say it. I'll look at when people smile, I'll cut the rest and you trim it. Now Hmm. there's not that opportunity. So I'll write like a full length, weird thing. And then I'll say it out loud and I'll just get stares. And I'm like, I have no idea what to keep and what to lose. So Uh I'm just, Yeah. So that's, that's, that's where I, I think I'm getting better at it. And I think it's just a matter of brute force going, okay, I think this was the part that I need to keep. I think this is the core that matters, what I'm trying to say. But for a little, the first draft is always the, the weirdest, most. There's like, a, there's like a core of comedy in here. I just have to peel away a lot of layers to get in there. Mm-hmm. Mm. And you really don't have the option to try it out. Because if you try it out a Zoom mic, you still don't know. No, it's tough. I I've had the same situation. Really hard to write. I mm-hmm. force myself to write stuff that I don't normally do one liners and stuff like that and stuff about the news just so I can keep my brain working. And then mm-hmm. I'm writing down premises. So I've got my phone with me all the time. I'll just write down a premise and never do anything with it. So I've got 150,000 notes on my phone right now that I haven't done anything with. <laughs> It is it, it to, to bring it back. It's a lot. It reminds me a lot of my first year doing comedy all over again. Because back then, I would pull out my phone and be like, "Oh, this is funny," and then I'd look at it a day later and be like, "I have no idea what this could even mean," but I wrote it down, so I'll try to figure it out later. And that, that's what it feels like now. Is sometimes I'll be at the grocery store and I'll be like, "Ooh, how about this thing?" And then I'll be I'll ten minutes before a Zoom mic, I'll look at my phone. And I'll be like, oh, man, I'm going to say this out loud, and I'm going to try my best, and we're going to see how it goes. Yeah. (laughs) The one good thing about the Zoom mics is you do say it out loud, and you get to listen to yourself back if it's recorded. And you can at least, or or have your wife listen to it, and they can say, if your wife's anything like mine, uh, she'll tell me if it sucks. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Maggie has not attended an open mic with me since we were about, like, a year in. We ended dating. She went to every single open mic because she was like, I guess this is our. And then after a year, she was like, Hey, just so you know, I'm good. I'm going <laughs> to stay home. You do as you please, but I'm going to be. And I was like, Okay. Yeah. Uh, but since this is the first time she's come to a show in eight years, uh, show, she's come to a show, but uh, I'll close the Zoom and I'll get some laughs and she'll be sitting next to me playing on her phone. And once everything's closed, she'll be like, what did you mean by this? And I'll go, and she's, it's like having uh, the person that liked your set the least come up to you afterwards and be like, I don't know about this one. Sir. Yeah. <laughs> it does. It, it, but any conversation about the comedy is helpful because it goes like, Oh, you're right. Uh, I, I can think about that. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. It's great to get, it's great to have somebody to give you that feedback because mm-hmm. you, sometimes people are just too nice to tell you and the people closest to you at least will tell you. Yes. No, I can definitely tell you she takes it very personally when I don't do well because she feels it doesn't reflect well on her. Mm -hmm. So she will, after a particularly rough set, go, hey, let's sit down and figure this out. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. When if you were doing this as say we didn't have the pandemic going on and COVID and all that kind of stuff and you were planning this 
festival, what would come after that? Because it looks, it sounds to me like you were really trying to make something go right before it, and you got a few shows in and it, it got canceled. What if everything was fine? What would your plans be on the backside of this festival? We got a couple. We got a couple things we're trying to figure out. As a comedian myself, I'm still trying. I'm, I'm like, it's one of those things where everything's been put on pause. I've been reached out to by a couple clubs that I, I luckily is relative right now, but a couple clubs that had blown off my email or like I'd lost touch with reached out and were like, hey, just so you know, when we're when we reopen, if you want to come do a headlining show, and I was like, okay, good. Once things normalize, I have a road forward from here, and I also have. We've been talking for a while as a festival about what returning looks like, and we've got plans. It's not one of those things where we're doing this and we'll figure it out from there. We've got, okay, we're doing virtual festival, and then hopefully things are going to lead to this and then this and just, yeah. So we've got, ooh, we, we, it's, no, it's one of those things where it feels very arrogant right now to make a plan given the, or commit to a, saying this will happen given mm-hmm. the environment we're in. But we've definitely got like some things in the works that I'm like, okay, good. Hopefully things return to normal and then we can do this and this and this will be cool. Mm. Mm-hmm. You seem like a cerebral guy and that you write more than just stand up comedy. Are you working on anything else? Oh, so I've got a couple. I actually had an experience recently uh, where I got a script turned down by HBO. It's a whole. I wrote a pilot with a friend of mine who got a meeting with HBO and they, he got into a zoom call with them to pitch the show and they listened to it for a little bit and they were like, Hey, we're not really interested, but that was, it was an interesting thing to have been reached out to. Hey, we're going to have a meeting. Mm-hmm. And we wrote a, he had pitched me about three years ago, like this idea for a television show. And he was like, and we can sit down in my garage and we can plan it out. And I was like, yeah, totally. Just let me know when. And then he didn't call me for three years. And then he got this meeting and he was like, I have this idea for a TV show. And they were like, yeah, we'll meet with you in two weeks. And he called me and was like, hey, remember that thing I told you three years ago? Well, we're going to write it now. And we wrote it in a Discord server. We cranked it out over the course of about five days, a, I think, 35 page pilot. And it was exciting to uh, be like be texting him before the meeting. And then he talked to me about it and was like, yeah, they didn't really go for it. But it was cool to know. I've got a couple pilots that I'm trying to push out there. I'm trying to get more into that. That was like a wake up call. Oh, yeah, there's a whole other avenue I haven't tried mm-hmm. to pursue is these submissions for, hey, this channel's looking for writers. And just another thing to try to occupy the time as uh, we wait for clubs to open back up. If there's one thing I'm good at, it's spotting people who do something different. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, that was uncanny. That was a good call. That yeah. Was fan- yeah I'm, it was just like I'm a Svengali or something like that. I just know. Incredible. <laughs> That sixth site, you got that ability. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All the way from South Bend to Texas. That's the way it works. I do ask a uh, question of just about everybody I have on, just so (laughs) that comics can learn something out of this besides what they've already learned. What three things do you know now that you wish you would have known when you first started doing stand-up? That's okay. Let's see. Let's figure this out as we go. Number one, I think one thing I wish I had known was don't have any hard opinions about comedy. I think that's one of the dumbest things you can do is go into comedy with this idea like comedy should be like this Mm because then all you're doing is 
getting opportunity, you get some opportunity that could be cool. And you're like, I want to do just, I, I was having a conversation recently with somebody because I got the, a writing opportunity. I, it's a opportunity. It's like a, a workshop that's open submission. And it's a thing where you get to write maybe a pilot for Nickelodeon. And I was on a call with a friend of mine that's a comic. And he, I was like, I wouldn't turn down Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon is not my first choice. And he was like, why do you do like, it's anybody that, is successful would just go, oh, cool. You don't have to qualify it. You don't have to say, oh, I'm doing this because I would rather just whatever opportunities come, take them and have a smile and work hard. And if you have that attitude, other cool things will come after that. (laughs) There's no reason to like go into anything with a shitty like, oh, this is my first. Just just show up as best you can, learn from the experience and keep going. Yeah, no doubt. And Nickelodeon Um, had Pete and Pete. Come on. Pete and Pete is one of my favorite. Like, genuinely, <laughs> I, I was. I, it's one of those things where I was qualifying it for my buddy because I I figured he might be. It's one of those low self esteem. You figure anyone will go. Oh, that's weird. But he was just like, just fucking, just be happy with it. They have Pete and Pete. They had uh, Doug, which was just oh yeah. Any silly show that's all imagination. I'm like, oh yeah, they have a great lineup and stuff. Tom Kenny uh, has all the like alt comedy cred in the world working with Bob Odenkirk and uh, David Cross, but like <laughs> yeah. his fortune came from 10 seasons of SpongeBob SquarePants. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> can't turn it down, can't deny it. Thing number two, I would say, don't I try if uh, tr- I wouldn't bother with gatekeepers. You hear a lot about, oh man, you got to figure out how to get this club owner to like you or this manager to like you or this if you are in a situation where a somebody that owns the local comedy club doesn't like you and you're trying to bend over backwards to please them that's a weird dynamic i would suggest trying to find like a route if you are on a vibe where you feel like the club owner doesn't see potential in you i would go to i would go across town find a venue and be like hey do you guys want me to do stuff and it's one of those things where it if you show up and the owner sees you every week, they've decided your level and any improvement they're going to determine is happening very slowly. But if you go away and then you reappear after a year having produced and hosted and featured for all these people, they're going to be like, whoa, when did you get so good? So mm-hmm. it, it, there is some merit to being the person that like shows up first at the open mic every week and is there early and is, hey, do you guys need me to set up chairs? But I think it's much more valuable to be the person who demonstrates you have that go get it in if in mm. this to uh do it yourself and i would pr- number three is probably don't take advice from other comics that aren't doing what you want to do so if you if you're listening to this and you're like oh yeah these, these things are dumb i'm going to do the opposite you probably don't like what i'm doing so feel free to listen to somebody who is doing what you're doing because i guarantee if you're listening to a comic and you want to be where they're at follow 100% of their advice because mm. they did those things to get to where they are. That's great. I really enjoy the fact that you mix uh, the art and the business in your three. I usually get, it, it's either it's either the art full on or the business full on for people's three. So I like how you put them all together. Yeah, I, I learned the business so I can do the art more. And, yeah. And uh, you can't separate them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I really like the last one about people telling you how to do comedy. I enjoy, probably like you, I enjoy notes from comics that I respect. and But I only really listen to the ones that know me and yeah. know what I am on stage. I, I had a, 
experience where I do this bit where there's, I talk about what my wife and I have in common. I talk about haters and saying we don't have anything in common. And the last part is we don't front. And I mix a lot of young words and old words together so that young people laugh at me and Mm -hmm. old Mm -hmm. people say, what he's saying? What is he saying? And stuff. We don't front. I don't front. She don't front. There's no fronting. And then one, a friend of mine said, say, just pause and say, we don't fuck around. And, (laughs) and the funny thing is I'm totally clean. And, but I did that. And that was the only time in the set I swore. And I did that a couple of times and I got pretty good laughs, but I couldn't do it. It it just, it took away from who I am as a comic. So I couldn't do it. So I had to do something else, but that's the thing. You, you take those notes, but you still can't change who you are on stage. Totally. Totally. There's a novelty. It's one of those things like a, like a good solid curse word is so good the first time. Uh, So you, if you want, you can do zero to one in a good set because the first time it's going to be like, Oh my gosh, he did. He said it. And then, uh, that's, Everything after that, it's not the funniest thing you can do. Yeah, uh, yeah. They'll, they'll, they know you have it in the chamber at that point. Yeah. I just, mm-hmm. I really enjoy, I, I watched Seinfeld's Netflix special recently, and I really enjoyed, you could tell how purposeful he was in his choice of words. Um, and each one had a place. It was like your, it was like your CrossFit thing. And each, if, if one word was out of place, the bit's dead. And he really put the time and effort into making it perfect. Yeah, I, I assume you've seen that video where he goes over the exact language and word choice of the Pop-Tart bit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Just the meticulous of, I chose this word because it's, and I think it's got this, I, I think about the sound that goes into words and how the rhythm and the cadence and the the same way William Shakespeare wrote in iambic pentam like yep. you want like a specific rhythm so your community yeah there's a whole music to it that you're trying to convey mm-hmm. yeah it, yeah Gary Gullman's big on that stuff too and those tips that he put out were really good oh he is a genius yeah. the Great Depression was amazing yeah yeah mm-hmm. hard to watch but it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. It is is very difficult to get Maggie to sit down and watch a a special with me without her. Like, I I couldn't watch. uh, I watched Rory Scovel with her at the beginning, and about after six or seven minutes, she cut out. But she watched all the way through Great Depression. And uh, it was like, wow, this is really, you have, she looked at me and was like, you really must have problems. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) If you like this, there's something wrong. (laughs) <laughs> it was one of those things where he was like, she's like, he's really funny, but as comedians, you must all really be troubled. And yeah. I was like, I don't know about that. But yeah, <laughs> we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are and we know it. <laughs> yeah. Wes, this was great. Just so we cap this off with a bookend, where will, where can people find you? Where can people find out information about the Plano Comedy Fest and all that stuff? So I am on, I got, I got all the social media as a comedian has except for TikTok. I'm not that I'm not at that point yet. I'll get to that desperation level, but for right now I have ethics and morals. So <laughs> right now if you want you can go to Facebook.com slash West Corwin has friends or just search West Corwin on the top and that'll take you to my Facebook page. That is where I post events and Facebook stuff, pictures and stand up shots. My Twitter is at West Cornfield. My Instagram is at West Corwin. And to find out more about the festival, you can either go to Facebook and search Plano Comedy Fest 
or go to planocomedyfest.com. There will be a big submit button that will take you uh, straight to submissions of your comic. And we're going to open up sales for individual tickets and passes on August 14th. So be on the lookout. And there will be links to all this stuff in the show notes too, folks. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being on, Wes. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Scott. This was fun. Yeah.